chapter six of Unfuck the Poor, Atomic Economics. This is a short chapter, an introduction, really. No, maybe an indoctrination. With the end of World War II symbolized by the technological power and shameless brutality of the atomic bomb, the United States entered an era of high productivity and international exploits all centered around commanding the highest value of the U.S. dollar. To get the full picture, go to askaleftist.com for show notes and supplemental materials, including additional documents and videos. The 1950s were a simpler time, weren't they? Let's face it. The threat of hydrogen bomb warfare is the greatest danger our nation has ever known. We must get ready for it. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous dangerous. and will release more dangerous radioactive material. The greatest danger our nation has has ever known. Let's face it. Unfuck the Poor, Chapter 6, Atomic Economics. Economic freedom is a euphemism for private enterprise unfettered by social accountability. Herbert Schiller, Culture, Inc., 1989. Herbert Schiller begins Culture, Inc. with an introduction of war, power, and economics. Though his book is all about American indoctrination, I mean culture. Specifically, he begins his book with the atomic detonation over Hiroshima and Nagasaki that brought World War II to its end. And that's a good place to start with this chapter. Economically speaking, World War II was significant because, one, in a world absolutely rat-fucked by the worst deprivations of the human psyche, the United States was catapulted to the all-time top number one don't-fuck-with-us superpower. Oh my god, what the fuck kind of bomb was that? Oh, fucking fuck, they dropped two of them. Jesus fucking Christ, the Americans are fucking brutal. What? Was I making two points? No, I guess not. Just one. On August 6, 1945, the United States dropped and detonated an atomic bomb over Hiroshima, Japan, and three days later they did the same over Nagasaki, Japan. We don't know how many people were killed by the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not because they were vaporized. That is a myth. In fact, the bombs were detonated above the cities. They did not detonate upon impact. And they were detonated at enough distance that the destructive force was literally shockwaves and intense heat. This makes viewing any images of Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the bombing especially sour and gruesome because the destruction was immense and brutal, but had they been dropped directly on the cities and then detonated, the destruction could have been much worse. The reason we don't know how many people were killed in the bombings was because the destruction was so widespread, it was a 15-kilometer blast radius, that chaos doesn't adequately describe what was left over. Chaos is the Oklahoma City bombing. Chaos is the 2011 tsunami in Japan. Chaos is landslides, earthquakes, and wildfires. People are afraid and injured and seeking to mitigate damage. They seek shelter. They seek answers. They seek help. And some people do help. They can help. What the atomic bombs left behind was not that. The bombs left behind nothing. Shells of buildings and over 200,000 dead. And they didn't die all at once. Those who weren't crushed within buildings died weeks, months, or years later from burns, trauma, radiation, or any and all of those combined. A 2008 analysis of tissue taken and preserved from atomic bomb survivors gives a pretty strong indication that the assumption we have about radiation and cancer is essentially true. Yes, being exposed to the radiation from a nuclear bomb will, if it doesn't kill you, likely alter your DNA in the cancer-generating way, and then it will kill you. The aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, including the effects on survivors, 
are preserved in the U.S. military-backed film project Effects of the Atomic Bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, or officially 342 USAF. 342 USAF was shelved and classified because, in director Dan McGovern's words, quote, I was told by people in the Pentagon that they didn't want those film images out because they showed effects on man, woman, and child. They didn't want the general public to know what their weapons had done, end quote. The bombs killed mostly civilians, 3,000 of whom were Americans who had become stuck in Japan when the war began. McGovern's film doesn't flinch. This is what the atomic bomb does to buildings. McGovern pans the camera across reinforced concrete buildings that are half-collapsed. This is the Hiroshima Gas Company about 800 meters from the epicenter. Two-thirds of its east side was destroyed. This is what it does to humans. McGovern's camera is clinical. Color of clothes made quite a difference, and the degree of the burns varied according to the color of dress. This is an example of a pattern of a dress burned onto the skin. This is what it does to human organs, intestines and kidneys displayed on bloody gauze. In the lung, bleeding and edema were often observed, and secondary infection by bacteria developed, making various abscesses large and small. It is an account of the immediate aftereffects of the single most destructive thing that humans have ever done, slightly ahead of climate change. In the 2008 paper by Nakachi, 60 Years of Follow-Up of Hiroshima and Nagasaki Survivors, Current Progress in Molecular Epidemiology Studies, is not an opinion piece. It is hefty lab research that studies the consequences of a brutal thing done 60 years after it happened. Nuclear war might not be brought up in peace treaties, and if it isn't, it will certainly be hanging in the air. In the aftermath of this global war that wrecked all of your economies, all of your countries, that has imperiled all of your citizens, this is what we, the United States, are capable of. This is what we will do to your people. And whether it was implied or said aloud, the United States did show the world exactly what it was willing to do to the general citizenry of the world, whatever the fuck it wanted. In the new atomic age, Americans were sold on the idea that we had created not a devastatingly brutal form of mass death whose effects carried on for generations, but that we had instead entered a new era of progress, innovation, creativity, and advanced science. The atomic bomb was good for the world, but especially Americans. The creativity of the bomb overtook the creativity of the artist. You didn't have to be a gifted painter or writer. You could use science and technology to create. Creativity would take us to the moon. It would bring us the world of tomorrow. It would put a weird-ass pair of shoes on a brand-new basketball player and make money. Creativity was no longer about the individual. It was about the collective power of the best and the brightest. The production boom of World War II wasn't creative. It involved brute force and willpower, men and women working in factories to crank out planes and tanks. It required discipline, like the rationing of gas and rubber by the general public. That was oppressive, but the bomb freed us. The creation of the atomic bomb and its fallout over half a century later represent the economic shift that occurred after the Second World War, short-term gains with lingering consequences. The focus on the success of two weapons of mass destruction ignores the efforts of the diligent and dedicated thousands of factory workers who built not only the planes and tanks and other war machines, but the entire post-war industrial network that would put America on the global stage with high productivity, high employment, and a strong economic base because, unlike the rest of the world, no one had bombed the shit out of us. Rather, we bombed the ever-loving fuck out of everyone else. 
Yes, that is the perfect analogy for where we are today. Ignore those who labor, praise the innovative few, and destroy whatever you can. It helps if your currency dominates global trade. The U.S. dollar did not become supreme currency commander by merit. I mean, the bulk of international transactions and trade are done in U.S. dollars today, but it's not because it earned that position. We created that position much like we created the dollar, out of nothing more than imagination. In the wake of World War II, as I've mentioned, the entire world was either clusterfucked from bombings or massive war debts, or both. America, relatively unscathed, thanks to geography and little else, saw an opportunity in the chaos. And opportunity and chaos is how radical shifts grab hold and cement themselves. The, quote, window of opportunity is a common term in nearly any academic discipline. If you miss the window, you miss making history. There are important war dates and economic dates, but you don't have to remember them. I just want to put them into sequence for context. July 22, 1944, anticipating the defeat of Germany and Japan, 730 delegates from all 44 World War II allies signed the Bretton Woods Agreement. The International Monetary Fund, IMF, and the World Bank are established. February 14, 1945, FDR meets with Abdulaziz Ibn Saud, and this is super important later, but not right now, agreed to do some stuff together, an airfield, business training, and the consolidation of Saudi petroleum production, forging a solid link between the dollar and oil. Very important. May 8, 1945, Germany surrenders, ending the war in Europe. August 6th and 9th, 1945, United States drops nuclear weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, respectively. September 2nd, 1945, Japan surrenders. Spring 1949, Japan joins the Bretton Woods monetary system. In September 1951, U.S. ends occupation of Japan. This was Chapter 6, Atomic Economics. I told you it was a short chapter. It deserves its own short chapter because, honestly, history classes tend to overlook the human toll of the atomic bomb, and we, as humans, as Americans, have still yet to reckon with this part of our past. The next chapter is a bit more lighthearted, but I do encourage you to read more about the effects of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, including their lingering effects over half a century later.